An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Episode 382, submission number 1509, Call Her Mom. Call Her Mom was a failed TV pilot that aired as a movie of the week on ABC in 1972. Well, it's 1972, and college campuses are in crisis. I will let this narrator illustrate my point. College campuses across America have changed dramatically in the last decade. Students are talking. They demand students' rights. They demand change. They want their voices to be heard by their administrations, both academic and political. The youth of America, looking toward tomorrow, but wanting it all today. Anxious, impatient, excitable, uninhibited, Bitter and brazen. Such is the American college scene. But there is one exception. Boy, is there one exception. Beardsley, a small co-educational college nestled in an untouched part of these United States. A bastion of learning where time has stood still and passed Beardsley by. And so shall we. I'm only kidding. Founded in 1883 by Josiah Beardsley, whose motto was, Education is not that bad. The students at Beardsley are content, and not that bad. A school where flowers bloom, birds chirp, where all the students' hair is neat, short, and freshly shampooed. Most of the male students at Beardsley still live on Fraternity Row, a row of fraternities. The boys and their fraternity houses are watched over and taken care of by dear, lovely elderly house mothers. The boys of Beardsley College are happy, and the house mothers of Beardsley College fraternities are happy. There is, however, one exception, the Alpha Rho Epsilon Fraternity House. They're a bunch of miscreants. And I'm being very nice when I say that. I love that that was Ernie doing the narration for that. I knew you would get a kick out of it. But I love the plaque. Education ain't all that bad. Does this look like anything six years in the future? Sure sounds like it. I'm not saying the National Lampoon's people got an idea from this, but they might have gotten an idea from this. I'm not saying that they might have copied it, but I'm also not not saying it. Here we have a small co-ed college where time 
seemingly stands still in the middle of a country that is going to hell. God, this ain't prescient, is it? But in the middle of this college, we have a ragtag group of co-eds who are looking to make the most, and I do mean the most, of their college experience. They are the fraternity of Alpha Rho Epsilon. If you have any knowledge of the Greek alphabet, you know that spells ape. Oh, I get it. They're like apes. They've driven out at least 14 house mothers, including the Dean's dear sweet mother. And they're literally on the cusp of collapse when a chance encounter with a recently fired waitress affords them the opportunity of a lifetime. She could be the house mother. And boy, what a house mother. Angie Bianco is a pizzeria waitress who just got fired. And for what? Because her boss is a jerk. Hey, her boss at the pizzeria is a jerk. The guys take her in and hire her to be the new house mother in exchange for whatever she owed her old boss and a little bit more than that besides. Of course, when your house mother looks like Connie Stevens, people tend to get attention. Which is good for the house, but bad for a stodgy dean and an even stodgier and somewhat fame-obsessed university president. We'll get to all of this in a moment. First, let's talk about the people behind this movie pilot. Movie pilot? Movie pilot. Jerry Paris was still directing several episodes of The Odd Couple when this came around, which was written by Gail Parrott and Kenny Salms, by the way. We did talk about Gail Parrott before when we covered Finder of Lost Loves. And playing, like we said, the new house mother, Angie Bianco, Connie Stevens. Singer, actress, real looker. Is there anything she can't do? I can't think of anything. Playing the cook of the ape house, a lady by the name of Ida, who becomes fast friends with Angie, Thelma Carpenter, an American jazz singer and actress known as Miss One, the Good Witch of the North, in the movie The Wiz. I believe that is the second episode this week we've talked about The Wiz. Yeah, second in three episodes. Good to think that that might warrant a Hall of Fame mention. I don't know. Well, are we talking about the same Wiz from 83? No, this is the movie The Wiz. 
Well, so it's really two separate things, just saying. Yeah. Well, it's still related to the play, so. Yep. And then we have the denizens of the ape house. We have Woody Guinness Third, the hero of the film. The one who brings Angie to ape house in the first place. Played by John David Carson, who was in such productions as Pretty Maids All in a Row in 1971, Hawaii Five-O, Charlie's Angels, and the 1976 film Stay Hungry with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jeff Bridges, and Sally Field. There's a movie for you. Playing the resident person of color in the ape house, Wilson, Mike Evans, a.k.a. Lionel Jefferson. And I've always had this question about Mike Evans, a.k.a. Lionel Jefferson. Is this the same Mike Evans who co-created Good Times? Yes, it is. Oh, really? So if this pilot gets picked up, there's a possibility that He's not on the Jeffersons, and also, we don't have good times? Just a little alternate what-if for you. Well, maybe they pull a uh, eldest daughter from Roseanne, and they get rid of Lisa Garanson and put in a Sarah Chalk. I don't know. It's happened, obviously. Why are we talking about hypotheticals from 52 years ago? Just saying. You know what? I was just curious for a second there. Anyway, and then we have as Randall Fagenbaum, the historian and resident keeper of the keys, as it were, maker of the rules, keeper of the keys, that sort of guy, Steve Vinovich. We talked about him before. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about him in going places, but let's not forget, he was one of the heels in Mannequin. He was the big-ass heel. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah, because he ran that rival mall to Stel Getty and Mannequin. But hey, guys, did you know that Steve Vinovich was in an episode of Beyond Belief Factor Fiction? We're going to have to find this episode. Oh, I'm going to find this episode. And as a matter of fact, that's going to be the next live watch of a Beyond Belief episode. Can't wait. And then we have, as lesser members of the fraternity, that is, members of the fraternity who get a lot of screen time, but not a lot of face time, Roscoe, played by William Tepper. His most notable credit was Bachelor Party in 1984. Oh, what a classic Bachelor Party with Tom Hanks. Then we have as Chip Mark Malmborg, who was a that guy from that thing. His last credit was in 1976 on an episode of Hawaii Five-O. And then as Jeremy, Alfie Wise, talking about Smokey the Bandit, Cannonball Run. He was the Adam in Legends of the Superheroes, which we covered on this podcast. He was on Future Entry Trauma Center, too. We've talked about him. He was also on A Week of Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour. 
think we're getting a Hall of Fame resume set up here. Just saying. I think so. Wouldn't shock me. One other credit for Alfie Wise we forgot to mention. I can't believe I'm saying this. He was Mr. Rabbit Ears on Uncle Croc's Block. Uh, Uncle Croc's Block. How could we forget him on Uncle Croc's Block? We tried. Dear Lord, we tried. You're welcome. Hashtag Croc Block. So those are all of the denizens of the ape house. Now we have to talk about all of the people around the ape house, starting with the professor, Jonathan Calder, played by Jim Hutton, who broke out with his role as T.B. Thompson in Where the Boys Are. That great movie from 1960. But he was on 23 episodes of Ellery Queen in 1975. And an episode of future entry Sweepstakes. An episode of previous entry Flying High. And, Greg, now that I have your attention, he was on an episode of The Magical World of Disney from 1979. Oh, that's terrific. What episode? The Sky Trap. What the hell is the Sky Trap? I have no idea. Hey, listen. Not everything in the wonderful world of Disney Pantheon can be gold, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, these can't all be winners. All right, I got it right here. The Sky Trap. Oh my god, this is severely dark for an episode of the magical world of Disney. It's about a plane crash of a cargo of illegal narcotics and the mysterious disappearance of a drug smuggler called the Hawk. The stage is set for a dangerous cat and mouse game as young Grant Stone stumbles into the Hawk's domain. Grant and his girlfriend become the targets of a pair of bloodthirsty smugglers on the ground and in the sky where the Hawk is ready to swoop. This must be one of those high adventure movies that is accessible to children, but not necessarily made for children. I guess. Oh my god. Mark McClure is in this. Oh my god. Who the hell is Mark McClure? Wait, who the hell is Mark McClure? He was Jimmy Olsen in the Superman movies. And he was Morty McFly's brother in Back to the Future. Oh. Now I remember who Mark This is why. Ladies and gentlemen, Chico Alexander, Jeopardy bronze medals, does not know who Mark McClure is. Shame. Shame. But, oh my god, Morton Cove was in this too. You know what? I bet he was probably the drug lord. That would make a lot of sense. No, man. You're forgetting. He can play both sides of the heel face turn. Well, that is true. He could. One thing about Jim Hutton is we talked about him previously in the Bicentennial Minute. In fact, his segment of the Bicentennial Minute he did is on YouTube, and we included it in the Bicentennial Minute episode. And we mentioned that episode that he is the father of Timothy Hutton. And also one thing I forgot to mention when talking about Mark McClure in the recording of this episode, he has a card in Americana. So, there you go. That is incredibly dark for Wonderful World of Disney. I'm just sitting here, just in absolute shock and awe. Guys, I found the international VHS box art for the Sky Trap. You want to see this? Okay, let me take let me take a look at this. It is Martin Cove 
Oh, he's a bad man. He's a bad man. He is, he's holding a knife to Mark McClure. Oh, this Martin a... Cove. He's a... oh, oh, okay, yeah, Martin Cove is the baddie in this thing. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it's based on a book. That's why it was on Disney. Okay, I seriously need to find this, and we seriously need to watch this. Martin Cove is a crazy-ass drug dealer holding up a knife to somebody's neck. That's great. <laughs> to Jimmy Olsen's neck. He's about to cut Jimmy Olsen. Where are you, Superman, to save him? Yo, Danielson, get in there. Yeah, we need Superman and we need Danielson and Mr. Miyagi to help stop this. And Morty McFly. So we talked about the ape house. We talked about the professor that, you know, tried to educate the ape house. But we didn't talk about the stodgy dean and the stodgier president. Let's talk about the president first, because he and his wife appeared on the newlywed game. He got center square on Hollywood squares, and he wrote a book that apparently he is the only person who cares about. And he is played by Van Johnson. The legendary Van Johnson. His wife was played by Gloria DeHaven. Not as legendary as Van Johnson, but still legendary, I think. Oh, I was going to say she's about as equal of a legend as Van Johnson. Yes, I'd say she's on par with Van Johnson. Maybe even a skosh higher. Hey, Mike. She was on an episode of Hello, Larry. I know she was. I saw that when I was doing research. And mm -hmm. two episodes of Delta House. No, wait. We cannot be making a Hall of Fame case for a veritable Hollywood legend. I'm sorry. I'm putting my foot down. My real one, not the fake one. Hello, Larry. And then I saved the best for last, guys. Playing the main antagonist of this feature. Dean Walden. Charles Nelson Riley. Oh, that was a terrible impersonation. It's I'm Charles sorry. Nelson Riley, you dumbass. Jack <laughs> <laughs> does a better impersonation than I do. What are you talking about, impersonation? I'm really here, guys. That's right, Johnny. You're really here in this room with us. Guys, this is an historic moment. Never in the history of civilization has this ever been uttered. Second person who was on Uncle Croc's block. First and last time we'll probably mention two people that have been on Uncle Croc's block in one episode. Nope! <laughs> okay, but I'm not saying first and last. I'm saying, like, only time. Never will that be uttered in the history of civilization ever again. Never before, never again. Never see never, guys. Just don't. Just you know. Okay, no, Chico, you're. you're I'm just... not gonna. I'm not gonna actively go looking for it. I'm just. Oh, like... No, you're not gonna do it now, but you're gonna <laughs> do it at some point. You're gonna be looking. Oh, okay. Let, let's see what show Bob Ridgely and Charles Nelson Riley were on, and then you're gonna go a little bit deeper. Ooh, Charles Nelson Riley, Bob Ridgely, and Alfie Wise. 
oh my gosh, they were on some episode of some crappy show at some point. Well, we're going to do a second reference now that comes to mind. Charles Nelson Riley and Alfie Wise had to have been on an episode of Match Game back in like 80 or so, because Alfie Wise definitely was on Match Game PM. So there you go. The second reference of that in the history of civilization in like the last three minutes. How impressive is that? Hold on. Were they on the same week of Match Game Hollywood Squares out? Oh, shit. Do I need to do research? Yes! I'm guessing they were, and I'm guessing it's the 1979 season. No, we're talking about Match Game Hollywood Squares. It wasn't a season. Oh, Alfie Wise wasn't in Match Game Hollywood Yes, he Squares. was, because remember, he was on Trauma Center in 83. Oh. Let's just remember Chico Alexander, the Jeopardy bronze medalist. Okay, hold on. Okay, this is going to be great. Well, Greg, you wanted a third reference to uh, two people on uh, Uncle Croc's block on the same show? Yeah. Yeah, you're not getting it. Oh. <laughs> oh, darn. We have to try harder. Hey, what's the main goal of this podcast? To try harder. To utter stuff that has never been said in human history. Don't challenge us, folks. We take every challenge seriously here. For serious. Now that we know who we're talking about, let's go into brass tacks because this is a lot to take in. And I've watched this twice since we started Pilot Month. We begin with another house mother quitting the ape house. In comes the Dean, threatening to bulldoze the ape house and replace it with, are you guys ready for this? A Bolarama. A Bolarama? That's what they called bowling alleys in the 1970s. They're going to bulldoze the ape house and bus everybody in that fraternity to a state-of-the-art dormitory. Now, if you've ever seen state-of-the-art dormitories that were erected in the 1970s, they say state-of-the-art. I will tell you right now, my freshman dorm at Carolina was built in that era. It sucked! It was one space above a closet. It was like one room, one built-in closet in the wall for me and my roommate, and a bed. It was terrible. Like, we can't put these guys in a dorm. They'll never survive. Of course, that's what Dean Walden is hoping for. So what are the guys going to do? Well, across town, we have what looks to be a pizza hut on a busy night. It's not a pizza hut. It just looks like a pizza hut. Down to the paisley tablecloths and weird lampshades. And her boss, Bruno, played by Corbett Monica, who appeared 18 times on The Ed Sullivan Show, 
basically telling Angie to work harder if she wants to get paid tonight. She needs to get paid or else she's not going to pay the rent. I want to see rent. Of course, the ape house are here and they're thinking, hey, are you guys thinking what I'm thinking? Maybe she could be our dead mother. Right now, Angie, though, has her hands full. And an earful. And now a floor full because she drops plates. Sick and tired of Bruno's crap, Angie quits. And tells everybody that the pizza is from food service. See, this is why we don't talk about Bruno, guys. No, no, no. So Woody goes back to the restaurant and asks Angie to be their dead mother. They will pay her whatever she owes Bruno. She agrees. She moves in and immediately takes her role as dead mother surprisingly very serious. It's like she goes in and like, oh my, this place is a dump. All she wants to do is go to her room. Everybody is understandably excited. I mean, A, it's Connie freaking Stevens. Come on now. But she'll get to work on the boys tomorrow. And by tomorrow, we mean very early tomorrow because everybody in various stages of dress and undress comes down to breakfast on tables that have been made with a centerpiece. That's right. The apes are going to dine like humans, which means they have to go back upstairs and get dressed, obviously. And hand it to Randall, Bagel Bob. He understood the assignment. He was the first one, actually, he was the only one, to come down in a full blazer. So while she's getting the house up to snuff, Ida's cooking breakfast, and... She basically has to make sure everything's nice and neat because guess who shows up next? Here's that Dean again. He's busy surveying the land, taking measurements for his bowling alley. But all of a sudden, he goes into the dining room and what does he see? Apes dining like humans. He's surprised. The apes are surprised. Everybody is surprised. But Dean Walden is not finished. Perhaps the most surprising thing is he is yet to meet the new dead mother. And she comes in covered in laundry. So he doesn't know what she looks like. All he knows is she has nice legs. But legs and the back is all he needs to see. He wants her gone. Because, and now I'm quoting, she's too young and she's too ho-ho-ho, if you know what I mean. 
Ho, ho, ho. Obviously, you can't fire somebody because of their age. I mean, that would just be A, scummy, and B, a violation of the bylaws of the Ape House. Bagel Bomb threatens to go to the president with this information. And Dean threatens to go right after him. His only hope is that the president changes the bylaws. But right now, the only thing that the president is focused on is A, his book, which, again, he's the only one who cares about it, and B, his upcoming appearance on Hollywood Squares? What? Yo, can I show you the stare down? Yeah, let's show it. This guy is something else. Fantastic. The freckles barely show. Oh, then I saw you on the Virginia Graham show, too. She has a lot of hair, doesn't she? Walden, we are not here to discuss my publicity tour. We are here to discuss this. Who and what is this girl? Who she is is Angela Bianco. What she is is the house mother of APE. That much I know. I read that in the paper. Why? We only asked who or what, sir, not why. <laughs> Walden, I've got two things to say to you. The first is, get this girl off the campus before the Board of Trustees finds out. Yes, sir. And the second is... Catch me on Hollywood Squares tomorrow. I got the center box. Break a leg. <laughs> okay? Oh, no. When did I miss an episode of Hollywood Squares? Who ate all the pecan sandies? That didn't work? Okay. What a deep cut from that episode. What was that? That episode of Family Guy? The first episode of American Dad. Oh, no, anyway. but there was an episode of Family Guy where it's like, oh, I'm so glad everything's back to normal. And yeah, and he Roger... comes in. Yeah, Roger comes in and says, hey, we ate all the pecan sandies. So, yeah, okay, yeah, it is the pilot of American Dad, but it did show up in Family Guy, too, yeah. So he comes back and tells the house, girl goes before Founder's Day. And also, I saw your little story in the newspaper, Wilson. Yeah, I know it was you, Wilson, because you're trying to better yourself. We get it. You're a person of color in a mostly white college. But also, the whole Hollywood Squares thing. Make sure you don't miss that. Bagel Bob then stages a protest and invites the campus to join said protest. And this is a protest that's a counter-protest to the protest of stodgy old mothers and house mothers of the world. And the only way that the apes manage to save Angie is through a bit of an ice cream truck pass by and a dedicated petition campaign. The professor also signs up for that. The apes want to keep Angie, and they're going to do anything in their power to help the cause, even if it means messing up Founder's Day. Unfortunately, it doesn't come to that. But there is a date involved, with Angie and the professor played by Jim Hutton. Professor Calder. He's taking notes. 
enjoying his wine. She is noticing, taking notes, and orders a beer. So, all of a sudden, this becomes a bit of a Pygmalion story? We're trying to class up the broad? Is this what we're doing now? And she goes home, talks to Ida about it, and he goes back to the Dean and tries to talk to the President about, well, Founder's Day mostly, but also, why should we get rid of this lady. Meanwhile, the ape house and their new dead mother are the talk of the town and the talk of the college and the talk of the president who wants to keep Angie in the house. Of course, all of this happens in front of television cameras and microphones. And a copy of his book, which he only cares about. Because he's an intention whore. Because he's an intention whore, yes. So now that Angie's here to stay, she invites Woody to a high-class soiree in her honor. There's even a banner that says, congrats, Angie, we love you with several brothers as an old-timey ragtime band. And almost all of them get a chance to dance with Angie, including Professor Calder, who is found out to be some sort of spy for the administration. That's not huh? right. That's not right. That doesn't uh-huh. make any sense. No! But Angie does get quite upset about it. She threatens to leave, and in fact, does leave. This is all coming to a head at another fancy soiree, even fancier than the one the apes threw, with tuxes and the Dean's wife and everything. I mean, we're talking real ritzy, upper-crust, stodgy, old-money type of party here. Founder's Day arrives, and you know what the funny thing is? What is the funny thing? The house makes Time Magazine, and for some reason, the founders, quotes, are attracted and compelled to give more money than expected to the college. Wow! So as long as she's around... That's more money in the bank for us. There's just one problem. I know what the problem is. I've already used my money in the bank. Stick around for that next week. The dead mother is gone. So what are the brothers to do? Find some place that serves Chinese and get her back. That's how it works. Yeah, just ask Will and Carlton that one time that Jeffrey thought he won the lottery and quit. Oh yeah, I forgot about that episode where Jeffrey won the lottery on Fresh Friends. You'll never see that reenacted on Bel Air. So the Dean and the brothers, they find her at the dim sum. They compel her to come back to the ape house. 
and she does. And that's the pilot. It ends with a recording of Connie Stevens singing, Come On to My House. My House of Come On. Which is really good. That's a really nice way of ending it. It's a nice, clean end. You can air it as a film, and nobody will question whether or not this was ever a pilot. Which it totally was, by the way. So, what went wrong, and how could this have been made better? I'd say shorten it from that hour and 15 minutes length. Well, that's an hour and 15 minutes without commercials. So it probably ran for at least an hour and a half, if not even longer. That's number one. Besides that, I really don't know. One issue I had, and this being a TV movie-ish type of thing, and this definitely wouldn't happen in series, is it took about seven minutes to get to the opening credits. Now, I know they gave the backstory. We heard that earlier, but definitely can't do that for a TV show when literally you're a third the way through the show. Oh, there's the credits. That doesn't make a lick of sense. But like I said, what kind of, sort of, helped this out? Maybe not helped it out. Six years later, Animal House. There's definitely parallels there. Well, we have a case of what the people liked and what the critics liked. The Los Angeles Times actually watched the movie and they said that it was poor and that the cast was wasted. Tons of talent. Connie Stevens, Thelma Carpenter, Mike Evans, Jim Hutton, Van Johnson, Charles Nelson Riley, Steve Finovich. All really good actors with uh, tons of years and a whole lot of future ahead of them. But the show itself was the second highest show of that week with a 30.9 rating and a 46 audience share. You know what number one was? 1972? Gonna guess All in the Family. Bingo. And after Ben-Hur, The Birds, The Bridge on the River Kwai, The Night Stalker, Brian's Song, Women in Chains, and Born Free, it was the eighth most widely seen film on television at the time. Nine in ten are A Death of Innocence and The Feminist and the Fuzz. And I should note the Night Stalker is obviously the prequel to Kolchak the Night Stalker because that itself was a TV movie before it went to series. And it was repeated the next year where it was the 12th most popular show of the week. So yeah, this had legs. Why it wasn't picked up for series is a mystery. Probably having to do with getting all of those people back together. Because it was a big ensemble piece. Yes, Connie Stevens and Charles Nelson Riley and Van Johnson were in it. But at its heart, it was an ensemble piece. I'm guessing that this would be another High School USA series where it went to another pilot or series. It would be with a different cast. Yeah. And there's only so much that you can do with a frat house and their leggy 
Dead Mother. And if I'm being completely honest, for as far as the feature goes, it almost doesn't go far enough. I mean, it's basically what would happen if you took a ribald college film and dressed it up for the kids, as it were. Class it up for the kids. Class it up for the ratings, you know? But yeah, this movie was ultimately released on home video, and you can watch it right now on YouTube and judge for yourself. So ultimately, in 1972, Cholera Mom got high ratings, but it wasn't enough to go to series, and so it ultimately became just another thing on TV. But what a thing on TV. I mean, you were a fraternity man. You had Connie Stevens as your uh, dead mother. Oh, yeah. That would have been awesome. I never would have graduated. Oh, neither would I. What are you smirking about, buddy? <laughs> you know he would have loved to have had Connie Stevens as his den mother, too. We know, Mike, you would have loved it. <laughs> what do you mean, shaking your head now? Don't lie to us. Liar. <laughs> but okay. With, with all due respect to Connie Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> Lying. Liar who lies. But I would have loved to have Charles Nelson Riley as the dean at my college. You would have loved to have had Charles Nelson Riley as the dean at your college? Well, guess what, guys? It's time for another It Was a Thing on TV Sea Shanty, brought to you by ChatGPT. <laughs> Is this about Charles Nelson Riley as the dean? No, it's about Charles Nelson Riley himself. Oh, okay. Oh, no. I've created a monster telling ChatGPT to do sea shanties. I still have yet to tell ChatGPT to do anything because, frankly, I wouldn't even know what to tell ChatGPT to do. Well, here, Greg, give Chico some ideas. Okay, here we go. Come gather around me, Hortiz, and listen to my tale of a man named Charles Nelson Wright with a laugh that would prevail. With a twinkle in his eye and a wit that sailed the sea, he entertained us all with his whimsical glee. Now here's the chorus. Oh, Charles Nelson Riley, a comic soul so bright, with a voice that carried like the ocean in the night. From game shows to stage, he'd regale and enthrall, a legend of humor, beloved by one and all. He graced our TV screens with his eccentric player. From the match game to the ghost of Mrs. Muir, he'd share. With oversized glasses and flamboyant style, he'd make us chuckle and laugh all the while. Repeat chorus. On Broadway's grand stage, he'd shine with pure delight in Hello Dolly and the life of Riley at night. His presence commanded a master of his craft, bringing laughter and joy, a gift that would last. Repeat chorus. Now as the waves of time have carried him away, we remember Charles Nelson Riley, the laughter he'd convey. His legacy lives on, a beacon of comic gold in the hearts of his fans. His memory will unfold. Repeat chorus. So let us raise a glass and sing this shanty true to Charles Nelson Riley, the laughter he'd imbue. With his comedic spirit, forever he'll remain. A legend of the seas, in our memories, his name shall reign. Okay, that sea shanty was actually very appropriate because remember, 
Charles Nelson Riley on SpongeBob SquarePants played the Dirty Bubble. Correct. So it makes sort of sense trying to somehow tie those two together. But hey, you know what we haven't done yet this week? It's time for it. We got to do the Joey Gallo update. Oh, here we go. What a doo Joey Gallo. He can't hit over 200, but he can sure smack a ball over the fence. It's the Joey Gallo update. So, Mike, what has Joey Gallo done lately? Absolutely diddly squat, it seems. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm being honest. He didn't play tonight, or at least has not played thus far. The game is actually still going on. It's the top of the eighth, and he has not come into play. Over the last week, uh, as of last uh, Friday, so the last uh, five games, he has had a total of three hits in a total of 13 at-bats, which actually isn't too bad for him. He had a decent game yesterday on Thursday, two for three with a double. But he has not had a home run since the 26th of April. So that goes back, gosh, three weeks now at this point, two and a half weeks. It's been a long time since he hit a home run. And his batting average just in the month of May, 120. Oh, oh. no, 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 no. His slugging percentage, if you think the 120 average is bad, his slugging percentage... 160, and the only reason it's 160 is because he hit that double yesterday. So, yeah, for the season, last week he was at uh, 194. With those three hits, he's brought his average up to a robust 200. Boy, I told you, regressing towards the mean. You know, that's the law of uh, large numbers. The law of averages said he was going to catch up with him. He wasn't going to hit 300. You guys said, no, 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 he's going to hit, you know, a good amount because, you know, because just said so. I'm like, nope, he's going to regress to the mean because in the long term, it's going to all like normalize out. So he's back to 200. Everything in the world is good. Tied for 29th in the majors with seven home runs. 121st, tied for 121st, that is, with 15 RBIs. So he's in the top 150. That's good, though. Yeah, 121. Now I want to see who's 150th just to see how bad that player is. Oh, my God. You shouldn't have opened your mouth. Hold on a second. Oh, boy. Let me give a prediction. I bet it's probably Tommy Pham because he sucks. (laughs) Apologies to Tommy Pham's family. No, no, no. I'm not apologizing. He absolutely <laughs> If you had to watch him play baseball every day, you'd say the same thing, too. Okay, so this is tied for 146th. And actually, if Joey Gallo had one less RBI, he'd be in this pile at 146. The good names on here. Justin Turner, Max Kepler, George Springer, Whit Merrifield... Jose Abreu, Mike Estremski, Jay Cronenworth. I don't even have anything after that. Those are the well, people hey. in 146th place, joint 146th, and then 13 RBIs put you in 168th. Hey, Mike Estremski, 
grandson of Bridgehampton's own Carl Yastrzemski. Total legend. Total legend. Okay, now I'm curious. Where is Tommy Pham on the list? Oh, no. He's not in the top 200, it looks like. Oh, that's not surprising. He's not in the top 250. Oh, my God. Where are you hiding, Tommy Pham? 259th. Tied for uh, 259th with eight RPIs. Tied with... There's some names on here, believe it or not. Jason Hayward, Starling Marte, Brandon Belt, Mitch Haniger, former Met Dominic Smith, the piece of the Lindor trade that the Guardians won, Andres Jimenez. Oh, so he has like, Steph, what does he have, like eight RBIs now? He has eight RBIs, yeah. Well, guess what, Francisco Lindor had a bases-clearing double. He now has, let me just check real quick on Score Mobile. Oh, boy. This, this is going to be hilarious. 30 RBIs now, Francisco Lindor has this season. It's basically him and Alonzo are the only good things about the Mets this season. Everyone else on the offense stinks. Well, I shouldn't say that. Brandon Nimmo's hitting over 300. So that's the update. Let's close this thing up. It's gone way off the rails. The sea shanty of Charles Nelson Riley and the Joey Gallo update. Oh, boy. And then we get to talk about next week. Oh, yeah. You, know, you all know where to go. You can go to itwasathingontv.com. You can go to our socials, Twitter, Facebook, Mastodon, Hive Social. And on Facebook, we're at It Was A Thing On TV Podcast. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. Like, subscribe, ring the notification bell to stay up to date on all future entries like what's coming up next week. Well, guys, we're closing Pilot Month 2023. But in between, we got my money in the bank. And guess what, guys? We've been wanting to talk about this for three years now. Three years. Remember, Mike, you brought this up to me three years ago. And I thought, this is the greatest show I've ever seen in my life. And guess what? Now we're covering it. But you know what? Not only is this show going to be so great that we've hyped up for so long. I looked at the guest stars. My God, the guest stars on this show. We could go all day on this. Oh, wow. I have a theory. We'll talk about it next week. All right. But our first pilot, the first show we'll be covering next week. Well, guys, we talked about the Paul Lynn show all the way back in October of 2020. Guess what? We're going to be talking about the pilot. That was the origin for the Paul Lynn show. But then we close it out with... Oh, man. We talked about a doorman this week. Well, next week. We're going to be visiting our doorman. And this one's a weird one because it's a spinoff. But to make it really weird, the original show was a live-action comedy and the spinoff was a cartoon. Well, I mean, they did that with the Coneheads. I mean, maybe that's not a spinoff, but there's a cartoon version of the Coneheads. We talked about it previously. But yeah, live-action show spun off to a cartoon that just didn't make it. All of that is coming up next week right here on It Was A Thing On TV. For Greg, for Mike, I'm Carlton, your doorman, 
Thank you so much for watching. Please be kind to each other, and we will see you for the next one. Wow! Okay, guys. I got some more shows where two people from Uncle Croc's block were together. Oh, no. Oh, th this is some intricate research. You had Alan Oppenheimer and Charles Nelson Riley on a week of match game. You had Phyllis Diller and Charles Nelson Riley on three weeks of match game Hollywood Squares Hour and a week of match game in 1990. And my favorite one. You had Charles Nelson Riley and Bob Ridgely on the pilot to Yahtzee. You're so impressed, there's no reaction. This is oh. the reaction. Oh, dear Christ, Yahtzee. That's right. They're on the pilot to Yahtzee. And you can see it on YouTube. God bless Peter Marshall. He tried. He tried, but nobody got paid for it. You can't see it, but I'm doing the Yankees thumbs down guy. I do not blame you one bit. Thumbs down all the way. But hey, Bob Ridgely, Charles Nelson Riley. You had Charles Nelson Riley. You had Chuck Fleck, the game show host on the game show episode of Night Court. I am human sweat. I want to be your love slave. I'm sorry, oh. I didn't really sell that like Dan Fielding did. No. I want to be your love slave. So I want to make sure the neighbors aren't like calling the cops on me or spying on me. That'd be kind of awkward. Oh, that'd be terrible. Yeah. Wow. Oh. That's how rumors get started. Bailiff, take me back to jail.